Welcome to International Podcast Month, or IPM. IPM is brought to you by the organizational team, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. This is a special episode of the Babylon Project, produced in partnership with the International Podcast Month and has been reduced in length for time constraints. If you would like to hear the full discussion and other nonsense, please visit us at babylonpod.page. Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. But tonight, we are talking about a science fiction franchise centered around a space station in neutral territory, where empires meet to discuss politics, where an ancient evil arises the threat in the galaxy, and where we are very interested in kissing aliens. <laughs> it's, uh, just not the one we usually talk about. Uh, yes, we are here because Mass Effect Legendary Edition has dragged us down the hole of replaying the trilogy in the exact same way we do every time. <laughs> just because we can't just subject you to us three screaming about it, we brought in a professional. Joining the squad tonight is returning guest Kat Valenti. Kat, welcome back to the program. Hi. For those of us who might not have listened to your initial uh, visit to the station, Kat, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm a writer of science fiction and fantasy. Um, most people know me uh, for either the Fairyland series, uh, Space Opera, or Deathless. I've also written a number of tie-in uh, works, including Mass Effect Annihilation. Uh, so I may have played Mass Effect a time or two. Um, I've won a bunch of awards. I also have been watching Babylon 5 longer than I've been publishing professionally. Let's 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 put it that way. Um and uh I, I'm a I'm a big dork uh, uh, about all of my my little media fandoms that never let me come on a podcast to rave about it. <laughs> <laughs> well that's yeah. what we're here for. <laughs> we're this is this is early June, just for, for listener context. Um about twelve hours after um Mass Effect Legendary Edition unlocked I I, I typed into our group chat, we're going to have to do an episode <laughs> just to scream it into the void so we don't have to plague our listeners with like 30 second spurts through 10 episodes uh, of our usual coverage. And we thought, hey, let's bring on somebody who's actually written a Mass Effect book. That I have. That I have. I think where we want to start this evening is where all of us come from with Mass Effect. Much of my power has been taken from me when I don't have a a lengthy summary to uh, rant about. I have played, bought and played the first hour of every Mass Effect, including <laughs> the Legendary Edition, because all my friends were playing them. And then when Legendary Edition came out, I swore to Justin that I would play it so that we could talk about kissing aliens. And then I work. Yeah, and then I work 70 like hours a 90 week. 90 hours a week. Yeah. Uh, so I played the first hour of the first one and then the first hour of the second one 
and uh, my pattern is firmly established, uh, which I suppose is in keeping with Mass Effect, as I'm told that that's how you play Mass Effect. You play it the same way you play every time. So I guess I'm just doing it right. You always swear to yourself that, like, this time I'm going to make different romance decisions, and then you just end up with Liara again. I didn't end. I don't end up with Liara. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll, right. get, we'll get into we'll our choices. But then, there, but then it's that just, said, I, my my phone is named Liara. Beautiful. <laughs> so I guess I do end up with her one way or another. I at least played through Mass Effect one and two, kind of substantially after the two of them came out, but before three came out. And then played three, like, you know, got it and like binged it on release day and like finished it in like 36 hours and then like sat there in front of the computer, like being like, what the hell just happened? My husband got me into it. It wasn't my husband at the time. Um, I, I want to say it was 2015, maybe 2014, 2015, I literally was moping around going, oh, I'm in such a gaming rut. I wish I could play a game that made me feel like the old Final Fantasy games used to make me feel. And my husband was like, have you met Mass Effect? Uh, I happen to know you have the first Mass Effect game sitting in your cabinet uh, and you've never touched it. So you should sit down and play this game. And uh, I will say he was he was very uh, kind and kind of, uh, you know, pointed out what DLC was worthwhile and what wasn't because he's a big fan of it um, and like kept me from making any drastically wrong <laughs> choices. <laughs> uh, but um, I played through all three games in, I, I mean, I probably I was procrastinating on a novel. I'm not going to lie, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I um, but look at what's come from it. Right. Uh, so I, I just was obsessed with it and, and played through uh, pretty constantly. And the way he originally sold it to me is kind of the way that I sell it to other people, because when I love something, I really evangelize about it. Uh, I annoy the hell out of everybody I know until they take part in Eurovision or Mass Effect or whatever it is I'm on about. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he said, it's basically, feelings in space it's space feelings like the the deal the final dlc is just a dinner party with your friends and i was like okay you know i'll I'll give that a shot um and uh and yeah um all these years later i wrote a book uh and um and it's it's still my favorite video game of all time excellent we're going to get back to the book because (laughs) questions about that yeah as for myself i i remember owning the first mass effect but like something with the 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 interface in the first one initially just bounced right off of me i don't remember why i think it's because just like high school me was not very into cover-based shooters Mm. then like a couple years later in college mass effect 2 came out and i had like three friends who were like you just need to play this game so you know what we're talking about so we know you know what we're talking about and you just you cannot be left out of these conversations. And I was like, fine, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I got it, and then I was like, okay, no, I get it. It's, it's, I love this. It's perfect. I didn't play three when it came out because I was, see previous statement, broke college student with no money until like two years after it came out. I haven't played the Citadel DLC. Which, I'm, like, was just something I missed, and it's like, and now it's back, and I'm looking forward to getting to it when I get to Mass Effect 3, but I've never, I'm like... It's really good. What did I miss? A lot. It's great. Yeah, I think, you, I think you'll really enjoy it. Oh, no. 
of going. I'm, this is this is going to be the thing that makes me cry about Mass Effect, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I uh, yeah, yes. Though how much you cry will depend on your romantic choices. I think. Okay. 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 Interesting. I will say that I that Andromeda uh, is, is I I am an I am an Andromeda stan. I think it's a it's not the best game, but I really enjoy it and what it tries to do. I've got Andromeda on my PlayStation. I just have not played it yet because I have been distracted by other games. Um. So, Kat, how does how do you, how do you get yourself seated to write a book in your favorite universe? <laughs> You know, uh, you obnoxiously evangelize to everyone you know uh, about the things you like. I was at the World Fantasy Convention, and I was obnoxiously evangelizing to a group of my friends in the bar about, have you played Mass Effect? It's the greatest thing. Uh, have you heard the good news? Mass Effect is here to raise and bless us all. Uh, and my friend, who is who is an agent but not my agent, uh, said, you know the editor who does all the tie-in books is right over there. And I said, oh, cool. Uh, and he said, all right, I'm going to be your agent for five minutes. Uh, and he walked me over uh, to this editor and uh, said, show him your phone lock screen. Because I had my femship on my phone lock screen, <laughs> uh, and in fact, they were they were still trying to find a writer for the third book in the um, Mass Effect Andromeda tie-in series. Uh, and K. Jemison was doing the second one, um, and uh, the first one they already had locked in with two writers as well. Uh, and so uh, I. They, they didn't. I I had really not written very much. What year is this? I'd really only written Radiance as far as novel-length science fiction. And I understand why, if you read Radiance, you might not automatically think uh, military space science fiction, pew, 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 uh, <laughs> for, this, for this writer. So they asked me to send them um, a sample that like showed I could do that sort of thing. And it just so happened that I had written a short story that was inspired by a teeny little flavor text buried deep in Mass Effect on some random planet that you can't even land on. It just has resources. Um, but it mentions psychic lions. And uh, so I wrote a book called, or I wrote a story called Planet Lion um, that had been had been quite re well received. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, and I sent it to them. And it is that. It is military science fiction. Uh, but, you know, from the point of view of a, a group of lions that were infected with... Um, uh, military tech left over from a war there and like involuntarily psychically linked by um, basically heads up display battle tech um, and how and how they kind of evolved uh, once they they were inflicted with this. Um, and so they hired me and uh, I spent the next two years finding out what it was like uh, to write a book that you don't necessarily have control over major aspects of, but I was very, very lucky. I was so lucky. Um, and my agent, my, my actual agent didn't want me to do it at all. He was like, you know, like these things don't pay very well. You could just write more of your own original stuff and, and we'll be better off. And I was like, but I want to, it's my favorite. Uh, and so I, we had our first meeting and like, it really, it's, I was so lucky. Like what they told me they wanted to do is what I would have wanted to do anyway. They said, we want, we're not using, any of the non-council races in Mass Effect Andromeda, so we want you to write a book about the arc that has all of them on it. And I was like, oh, 
I have been blessed by heaven because that is what I love. I love the Elcor. My literally, my car's license plate said Elcor at the time. Uh, like I, I know. <laughs> I, I, like when I say I'm a dork about this, like it is intense. Um, and yeah, so they gave me a they gave me a list of species that I could use. And it's everybody I would have wanted to use. And I was like, am I cool to have no humans? And they said, yep, you're good. Uh, I was like, this is awesome. Um, so I got to do what I would have wanted to do, which was really, really exciting. And they said like, Elcor, all yours. We're not, we're not using them, uh, for a while. So knock yourself out. But it did mean I had a lot of species where there was not that much in canon about them. So we had to go back and forth a lot with what I could say. And especially since it was a medical thriller, it's, it's, oh God, in 2021, uh, it hits different, but it's a virus that gets loose on a ship in space. It's a locked room mystery, you know, featuring a brain eating virus. Um, and like doing a medical thriller when you can't really say what a volus looks like inside their suit is interesting. <laughs> Can't really say what Aquarian looks like inside their suit either. Uh, because, you know, it seemed like they, they kind of wanted to hold that back for possibility of a future game. Can't really say that either. So there was a lot um, that I got to make up, I got to like, create cultures, uh, things, you know, that hadn't been mentioned in the games. I got to do a little bit of anatomy work, because eventually, we do have to have an autopsy on somebody. Um, and uh, it was really, really cool to get to contribute so much um, to the canon uh, that, that I really, I, I would have, I would have written anything. You know, if they told me I had to use humans, then I would have used humans. But it's exactly what I would have wanted to write. Okay, that agent at the bar is like the best wingman in the history oh, of mankind. His name's Connor Goldsmith, and he was my wingman for that night. Oh, <laughs> I, Connor does an X-Men podcast. Uh, I'm sure he does. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, Connor and I have known each other since uh, Worldcon Spokane. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very kind because again, he is not my agent. He got no commission from it. Uh, he was just he was just doing me a solid. I, that just proves how small of a world sci-fi fantasy publishing is. <laughs> uh, that's that that is also true. Well, that sounds awesome, and it is definitely on my to read list for the summer now. I'm very proud of it. Like part of the reason I wanted to do it is that I thought it would be interesting to write a book where nobody really cared how pretty a sentence I could make like that that was not the relevant thing you know I write I write very pretty sentences normally and uh, I, I do complicated structures and uh, I love all that and it's it's a big part of sort of my passion in writing and that none of that matters when you're writing you know a video game tie-in novel that's mostly about <laughs> you know, uh, space violence. Um, so, uh, I thought that it would basically, I'd be getting paid to take a class in writing commercial fiction. And, you know, can I do that? Can I, can I write a book that is, is plot driven? Um, that is, is all of the things that doodly military science fiction is, and can I still communicate what I think is important about literature through that? Um, you know, I, I limited myself to like one metaphor a page, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I you know I had look I had a lot of fun with it um but it was it was definitely really interesting to to have those parameters it's probably going to be on like my 2023 reading list when <laughs> I don't have to think about uh 
epidemics at, uh, like, constantly. Yeah, it's um, it's a little rough, I gotta say. <laughs> Didn't know yeah, that there would be an epidemic. I, and for, the, for research for the show, I did, like, I, I did, like, a quick skim of, like, the, of, like, wiki pages and branching stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome, this is, Quarians! Hell yeah, of course the Quarians would build an, like, would be majorly involved in building an arc. Yeah, well, and, like, I mean, I spent a lot of time designing a virus. <sighs> And boy, when 2020 hit, I was like, I wish I did not know what I know. Because I didn't know that stuff before I wrote that book. I knew some <laughs> of it, but like I, I didn't, the nitty gritty. And it's based on measles. Like that's kind of the um, the the core uh, sample virus. And uh, I mean, everyone else learned what an r naught number was in 2020. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that very well, uh, which gave me a lot more anxiety than I really needed to have that year. Next thing on my list of things I want to I want to go around with is what do you have a do you have a favorite class for your shepherd and on a scale of like paragon paragons to renegade for life how how far like where is your usual shepherd lie on all those uh, I can go first. I always play Fem Shep. Um, I that I'm never tempted to change. I have no interest in playing Dude Shep uh, and. I am uh, a paragon of paragons, though I will slap somebody in the face at some point. Like, I'll do a paragon. I'll do a renegade interrupt occasionally, as long as I'm already maxed out. And uh, I, 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 like, what you were saying, Jude, in the beginning about how you always play the same way, I mean, it's kind of true. I always think, like, this time I'm going to make different choices. Uh, like, you know, I don't, I, I've already beaten the game, so there's no pride there. Like, if I'm, if I don't max out paragon or renegade, like, it'll be fine. And then I can't hurt my friends. Like, I can't do it. I love yeah. them, and I want them to be happy and safe, and I can't hurt them, so I can never bring myself to do it. But I almost always play Adept because, uh, look, uh, whenever my gameplay style is usually, is there some way that I can do magic at it until it explodes? Like, uh I play a lot of mono red in uh, Magic the Gathering. Like, this is kind of my thing. I just, I want it to be pretty and sparkly and then violently explode. I also always play as Fem Shep. I've been, I've been sort of tempted to play as Dude Shep for the later games. Like, once Mark Mir's voice acting kind of levels out a little bit. So this time around, I usually, so I usually play an engineer. Um, and this time around, I am doing something different. I'm playing a Vanguard. Mm. Um, I'm doing the exact same thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay, so I, I tend to play characters in such games that are kind of like built around some sort of character from something else. So my my traditional femship has been Sam Shepard based off of Sam Carter from... Stargate. However, this time I'm doing Susan Shepard, <laughs> who is based off of Ivanova. <laughs> and and thus I've I've ended up choosing like about 75% Paragon and about 25% Renegade. I was gonna say I, I don't know if you can accurately measure these things off an hour of gameplay. <laughs> I I I think I kind of split down the middle whenever there was a chance because I picked a lot of like I'm not like verbally confrontational in these kinds of games like i i don't find any particular joy in like being the the edgelord aggressive in in the conversation trees but i also have very little patience sometimes so i will absolutely <laughs> like 
cut through a conversation if I can just like do that. Uh, so I feel like that's where that's why I don't hew very close to Paragon or in similar games. I end up in the same place. And then I picked the one I'm forgetting the, the name for it, but the one where you get to shoot guns and do magic, uh, which will come as no surprise for anyone that's ever seen my uh, playtime on Destiny. If you let me shoot a gun and do space magic at the same time, I'm in my happy. I'm going to guess you're doing Vanguard as well. Yeah, I think that sounds right. It's a solid class. I played engineer or I played. I think I played soldier my first time, uh, like through the games. Um, just because I liked the versatility of choosing which gun you get to pew pew someone with. Um, and then like more, like when I played it later on, I did engineer more because I like, I liked the, the powers, but, um, yeah, I'm doing Vanguard this time. And let me tell you, charge is a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> 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 it's like, Ooh, I've just got a nice shotgun now. I'm just going to boop into people and, uh, Stuff full of uh, thermal clips. Well, I mean, one of the things that's interesting about all the classes is, is you know, you can, it, it's not like you don't get to use guns if you're <laughs> an attack. Yeah. You do, do still get to use guns, but it really affects what your party is. Um, because obviously as an adept, I don't really need Liara. I don't. I don't need the the major biotics because that's the role I'm playing. So like the my my loadout and my my companions are going to be uh, different depending on uh, my class. And I I usually ended up with you know, uh, Garrus as a sniper and and somebody else as a tank. Rex in the beginning and Grunt later on uh, to to fill that out. And so because you get you know, background dialogue from your party and your squad and everything. Um, it really can change fundamentally the game you're playing uh, to, to, to change your class. Yeah, and that's, you know, I don't, I, I also don't necessarily always go for a high difficulty setting just because I like being able to put together just whoever I want in a team um, and not care about balance at all and have, you know, the bonkers conversations that you get from throwing together like really random squad mates. And I mean, we have, we haven't mentioned that like, boy, it really is similar to Babylon five in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> I don't really think I yeah, clocked that. I don't until the remaster of V five came out and I turned it on at HBO and I went, Oh, like this is, I, Oh, this is a lot. <laughs> this is very Mass Effect, and I mean it's it's only fair game because I think we talked about this on the last one that like Picard completely rips off Mass Effect in every way, shape, and form. Uh, so I, you know, I guess it's all, all all's fair in uh, in lo space love and space war. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy uh, how how many similarities there are. Like the shadows and the reapers are are just so similar. Uh, and I, I did not realize to what extent Picard borrowed from Mass Effect until I started re replaying uh, Mass Effect One for the Legendary. I was just like, "Oh, it's just frame for frame." Okay. Yep, it's exactly the same. They, uh, you know, Michael Chabon claims to have never played Mass Effect, and I find that super hard to believe. I uh, mean, there's. <laughs> There's a beacon. Yeah, I get somebody watched at least a compilation on YouTube of the the cutscenes because like there's no way it's by accident. And and as I pointed out before, like Star Trek's never used organics versus synths. That's not the Star Trek terminology. We don't we don't do that. That's that's not 
that's not the Star Trek word. That's that's exactly the terminology of Mass Effect. You know, the creature coming in at the end from outside the galaxy is clearly a Reaper. Uh, downloading the visions into your head is like the first thing that happens in in Mass Effect. It's um, it's a lot. Uh, it's, especially it's, especially with the visions being like impossible to actually parse and just like really mm-hmm. disturbing. Yep. And having a second person to telepathically sort them out for you. Yep. It's basically Captain Jean-Luc Shepard. It's very strange. I feel much better equipped to uh, participate in this conversation then, because I watched Picard, and I enjoyed Picard's. I watched Picard, uh, so I feel qualified to to comment on, on, on Mass Effect more now. I like the episode where they go to Ilium. I mean, the casino world. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, it really is. It's insane how similar it is. Who's the, uh, who is the, the Riker of Mass Effect then? Oh, Garrus. There is no Shepard without Vicarian? Well, no, no, no. Like in, in like the, the setting, like in the setting of, of where Picard is, like, you know, the, the old friend who's sort of moved to retirement life. It's, uh, it's Captain, uh, Anderson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Like, or at least okay. their narrative roles. But no, the best bro, the, that's Garrus. Yeah, Space Bro is Garrus, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, we talked about uh, Liara being everyone's romantic choice. Look, I mean, with Femshep, like, Garrus is by far and away the most popular romantic choice. <laughs> nope, not for me. He's my bro and uh, never crossed the streams. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, uh, I think that, that Garrus very much plays the Riker role of, you know, he's your number one. He, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're in your adventures together and he'll always have your back and um, he's maybe, uh, with the whole archangel thing, like he's maybe a little more loosey goosey with the morals than, uh, than Paragon Shepard is, but, um, but he's your guy. Interacting with him as a Paragon Shepard is so interesting because he really like, he like listens to Paragon Shepard and like, will kind of change his views. Like, especially in Mass Effect 1 where Garrus is like, why don't we just murder them? And you're like, how about we not do that? And he's like, but why? Shepard gives a reasonable explanation. He's like, that's a good point, Shepard. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the joys of Mass Effect that like yeah. everything does change depending on even tiny choices that you make and tiny dialogue choices you make. And it's why people get so attached to it. And it's it, you feel very... Even though it's Commander Shepard, not you, you know, the universal you of video games, you feel very implicated in, in everything. You know, yeah. did you save the Rachni? Did you not? Um, you know, the, what happens? I mean, it's, it's hard to talk about this without spoilers, in part because you don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't played it, but also because everybody fundamentally played a different game and everyone is very attached to their choices in the game. And when you look up sort of what the common choices were, I was shocked because like from... When I met Thane, I was like, oh, every uh, everybody must pick Thane. Nope, no one picks Thane. Uh, apparently, I can have him all to myself because uh, no one else likes him. But he brought books, like his 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 cargo manifest, like his his special weight cargo. He brought books, paper books. He's my man. Um, but when it comes to like the ending choice, I was so sure that what I chose for the ending was what everyone would choose, because to me, it seemed the most natural conclusion of the game. The other thing that Mass Effect takes a lot from is the foundation series. Um, like Absolutely. the end of, of the, of the, you know, core six books of foundation 
uh, with Galaxia and everything is synthesis. Like that's it. That's the ending. And so I would, I was so sure that that's what everyone would pick. And again, no one picked that. It is the least popular choice. Uh, and so it, it's, it's very interesting to me how much people take personally the path that they took through the game um, and who they, who they chose to develop relationships with and, and the outcomes that they, uh, that they chose. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. All of that truly is fascinating. Uh, and, you know, with Picard and, and it's Picard's not the only one. I mean, there's just been a lot. Mass Effect clearly kind of has been in the back of a lot of contemporary screenwriters' minds. Um, and it's because it just seems like playing a movie. It's that good. Yeah. I mean, especially once you get to Mass Effect 2, they they figured out that like maybe we don't need a lot of like that open world roaming with the car that you can't really drive. <laughs> And maybe yeah, we should oh, just the Mako. Oh God, that fucking I love, car! I love that trash oh, bag of a car. That is a my 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 first car I ever owned was significantly better than the Mako, and my first car was a '72 Super Beetle. Where the first time I tried to put the seat back, it came off in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> but did it have a turret? I mean. Every car has a turret if you believe in yourself. <laughs> That's what a sunroof is. My my um my favorite Mako trick is if you boost and then jump just right off of off of like a bump, you can flip the whole thing. Yeah, I mean Mass Effect Two is it, it it's as close to a perfect game I think as you're really gonna get, and they did realize that like. The value add, like what what Mass Effect really has, is your relationship with these other characters. And I, I, mean, I remember like pulling up the second game right after I finished the first game because I was obsessed, uh, and just being like, "I'm sorry, where's all my friends? Who are these fucking people? I don't want to talk to these idiots. Like, where's 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 my crew? Where's my people? Where's my blue boo? Because I was all about Liara in the first game, uh, and my husband." God bless him, said nothing, said not a word. Even when I said, <laughs> one of them's named Jack, I'm sure that's just yet another short-haired brunette dude bro space marine, whatever. I'm not really interested in that. Oh, Jack's amazing. Uh, she is not that at all. Um, she is brunette, I think. But um, she has a shaved head, so it's hard to tell. But yeah, so you you know, by the end of Mass Effect 2, you're like, what original crew? I mean, you get to have your original crew back, but the the new characters are just really spectacular and wonderful. And there's so much, so much in that game. Um, and uh, I really, I mean, uh, people complain a lot about Mass Effect 3, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't have flaws. And certainly I played it after the ending had been extended to make it a little bit better. So I never really had too much trouble with the ending. But I do think... <sighs> The ending coming down to three choices just misunderstands that the the whole game is the ending. Um, you know, the Leviathan DLC is just like one of the coolest things in the whole game, and that's in Mass Effect Three. Um, it shouldn't it shouldn't have been DLC. That should definitely be part of the game. It's literally the origin of the Reapers, and you had to pay nine ninety nine to find out. Yeah, but, um, but like it, it's the whole the whole of Mass Effect Three is a coda uh, to the series, and it's really it's really very beautiful. The the whole thing with Mass Effect Two, where they lean into it's about it's about the it's about the squad, it's about the relationships. Mm. The first time I played Mass Effect Two, and you're on Omega, and like you don't know who this archangel dude is, and it's the best. It's so great. And the re- <laughs> like and the reveal, like 
I first of all like I, the the voice actor just like his voice drops half an octave between games and oh man that is the that like it, it's Mass Effect One Garrus is like you're, you're cute Mass Effect Two is oh no I get it now <laughs> yeah no I mean it's like two a.m. I'm like my man he's back. Uh, <laughs> my um, son, uh, my son has this. He has a little baby doll that he really likes. And he carries it around, and takes care of it. And uh, he had heard earlier in the day me talk about my coffee mug, which has Garrus's face on it. And so he named his little baby doll with the rosebuds on her onesie Garrus. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I think my favorite part of the Garrus romance, though, is um, when the Salarian doctor takes you aside and is like, "Shepard, don't swallow." <laughs> Yes, basically. Which we is, had a discussion on this earlier today. We were we were comparing Bab Five to Mass Effect or Babylon Five. Like we find out that humans thought Centauri were like were related for a very long time. Which I could have been just. I have problems with this. I got very angry about this on Twitter. Um, I don't buy it either, uh, Jude. <laughs> so some uh, friend of the show, Scott Paladin, tweeted a. a very good pun uh, about uh, uh, horny on main gauche. Uh, and I turned that into a joke about uh, Centauri porn, because as we all know, Centauri dueling clubs are just sex clubs. Um, I, I swear I'm getting to the point here. Um, it led me to consider the, the idea that like, what is Centauri porn? Like we were talking about weapons manuals, all these new, new duelings, all these dueling manuals that have come out of the middle ages and they could be pretty snappy. There's some stuff going on there. And it made me wonder, do the Centauri have porn? And the obvious answer was yes. It's called media. Hmm. Like, the better question is, do they have anything that's not porn? Like, I'm trying to imagine, like, a, a sitcom, a Centauri sitcom where somebody doesn't just whip their, their junk out, like, every every eight minutes for, for the comedic beat. I strongly believe that they would not. Now, maybe there's some shades of gray in there, but my point ultimately was that this makes that conversation between Garibaldi and Londo at the start of the season, where Garibaldi is like, we thought you were, you know, we didn't know for sure that we weren't related to you until we got some of your DNA. And I'm just like, hold the truck up, Baldy. You're telling <laughs> me that you guys, that A, nobody tried to fuck a Centauri and nobody like, I don't know, sat on public transportation and saw, I can't sit on <laughs> BART and not see yeah. somebody watching porn. You're telling me that this, that Londo Malari never sat in like a public place and watched Centauri porn on his, on his hand terminal. No, <laughs> I'm, I am a hundred percent sure that the very significant differences <laughs> between human and Centauri biology were real obvious within, I don't know, two weeks. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I don't buy it at all. It's one, yeah. one of the things in my book, Space Opera, like there's a line that's, um, uh, if aliens ever do turn out to be real, there'll be one line to fight them and one line to fuck them and the latter will be longer by a mile. Uh, <laughs> there's no way that humans aren't 100% down to clown uh, as soon as there are uh, yeah. aliens around. It's ridiculous. And and that's one of the things I like about Mass Effect, that it doesn't shy away from, you know, the the galaxy being kind of a grotty place where all kinds of people are screwing and and doing drugs and and being generally 
weird and shady and into everything. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I understand that there is a huge difference between even a AAA video game and, uh, you know, airing on network television in the mid 90s. <laughs> but uh, I do think that if we're yeah. going to go as far as to talk about the Centauri dicks, uh, we can talk about the fact that that someone was all about them immediately. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and B5 is is not it's it's reason and then even putting aside if I it, you know taking stepping out of the bit for like a, just a half a second even <laughs> if you put aside the 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 bit Babylon 5 is pretty horny like even without the jokes it's pretty horny by any non prestige TV era TV there's all I mean there's a lot of people on that show trying to and successfully getting laid compared to like anything Marvel like we like we were talking about today yeah. Justin um anything Marvel's putting on scream yeah 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 we're doing our <laughs> best over I here in the fan the fiction trenches diagram of the connected bedrooms yeah <laughs> I mean, you're right but I do think Babylon 5 is a little cagey about cross species sex um, a lot of the species kind of take the Ashley Williams uh, tack of of being a you know at least low key space racist and not not being mm. that into uh, other species. So a lot of uh, yeah, except for Jakar. Except for Jakar. Well, yeah. I mean, do you not? Everybody. It's, <laughs> everybody. Does. It's the universal pairing. Yeah. But um, he's he's like the O negative of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> but uh but yeah um most of the 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 banging is uh is is within a species and uh, yeah. very much in mass effect though i mean i suppose you could bang ashley or caden i don't i don't know why you would but i guess um, there's probably people who do yeah i mean ashley ashley just has a permanent uh, vacation home on Vermeyer. Oh, I I left her so fast. <laughs> I was like, "See you, bitch. Bye, Felicia. I'm out. Uh, enjoy enjoy this nuclear inferno. Uh, do I have a choice to never hear your voice again? Oh, I'm taking it immediately. Like, he <laughs> actually grows up and he gets like he, yeah. he, he he gets he gets to overcome his trauma and he gets to like become a specter and like reclaim some of that. Ashley. I mean, Caden's biggest sin is he like kind of jumps the gun a little bit. If you're femshep and you're like remotely nice to him, he's like, "We're dating forever." Uh, <laughs> Ashley is space Trump. Like, yeah. she's terrible. I probably like if if like if somebody like like dropped a mod on there that's like, okay, all of the all the romance options are by like I'd probably consider Caden with with like M like Duchep. But that's yeah. Uh, just but I, even like, I, so, if you if you're looking yeah. for a lunk, I think James probably is 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 a uh, is just fine for yeah. that. I mean, like in, in Mass Effect Three, I do regret my first playthrough. I do regret that I chose Samantha because I was so excited to have a a female option. Uh, and I mean, Liara is, but she isn't. They kind of danced around that. Um, I regret it so much. She sucks. Uh, Samantha is just the worst pairing and she, uh, just immediately, I guess it's very stereotypical of lesbians. She just wants to move in instantly. Uh, and like all of these friends you've had for two games, she like talks like she has some kind of ownership over you when like, girl, you just got here. 
Nobody knows who you are. So my my canon with Citadel, uh, my head canon with Citadel DLC is that like we broke up right before that dinner party, uh, and it's just super <laughs> awkward because we haven't told anybody yet, and that's why she's such a passive aggressive B through the whole party. Uh, but no, I, I that was one of the reasons I I did my first rerun throughs. I'm like I don't want. Mm-mm. I, 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 I demand I demand a better lesbian option. It seems, yeah, I, given the popularity of Mass Effect, it's shocking to me that nobody has said has tried to just like staple a, a full on dating sim to an action game. Mm. Like, I mean, it's kind of it what seems, it was. I mean, yeah, that's that feels very much like what worked about Mass Effect was that it. I mean. Obviously, there's a lot going on there, but the thing that uh, that Mass Effect has that no no other game had was that relationships were, were mm. all those relationships. Like you had games where your where dialogue trees mattered. That was every goddamn Bioware game, <laughs> and you had games with guns and space magic and stuff. But those relationships, like those were those seemed to really be like the heart of what made those games work. And there's already a booming industry that makes engines for that kind of uh, a mechanic for delivering that kind of engagement and it's just i i I remember thinking hearing all my friends talk about mass effect 2 thinking how is it nobody has has profit like tried to prop maybe they did and i just didn't notice and they didn't work but it seemed wild to me that nobody went out there and just tried to do like mass effect except more dating and a little bit less guns I would yeah, play that no, game. Well, there's there's still time. I would I would definitely play that game. And I liked that you could screw it up, and then that person is no longer an option because you you weren't smooth enough, or you said something rude, or or you did something wrong, and uh, they're not interested anymore because that's very much like real life. I think that you know. Uh, it's not the not the worst primer for teens to play to like learn that you actually can alienate people and that's it. There's no there's no going back on it. Um, it's it and all of that stuff really is a huge part. You're right of, of what what makes people feel really attached to the game. Um, and it's not necessarily just about like oh you get the sex cutscene at the end. It's 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 building those relationships and maintaining those relationships and and uh, and where they go. It's really mm-hmm. great. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. For more thoughts on Babylon 5, Mass Effect, fan fiction, classics, modernizing classics, and alien genitalia, probably, check out the rest of this episode on babylonpod.page in about a week. Thanks from your friendly Zathras.
The intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Grelly. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event, and you can even buy our team members a coffee. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month, celebrating creators, sharing listeners.